I know you guys all put away your Christmas decorations, but I guarantee everyone's going home looking for a manky old Santa and Rudolph to get $10,000 worth. We're starting a new series uh, today. It's called Antiques Roadshow. And how many of you have seen Antiques Roadshow on TV before? All right, good. So a lot of you have seen it. I just think it's the greatest show ever, where all you need is a, a big field and some people with a garage and a camera, and you basically have a show. Because what happens is people go into the garage, bring out all the junk that has been lying around for ages. Some of them have like, you know, really well-kept and maintained like family heirlooms that they, that they have. But they bring it out, and they, they take it to these, these people who are specialists in whether it be like, you know, old musical instruments or, you know, different kinds of things from different ages. And they, they take it to the, the special, you know, this guy, he deals in this, and this guy deals in this. And then they will talk about this, this piece of... Um, <laughs> like saying piece of junk, piece of valuable you know, history in their family for a while. And I was struggling to find on the internet clips of, of uh, people who, who brought things that were just absolutely worthless. But when you watch the show, it's amazing. These people come out with these things and they're like, this has been in my family for like five generations and I know it's worth a lot. And then the dude's just like, I'm sorry, this thing is worth absolutely nothing. And you can see they gutted. it. But then like that lady with the cubic zirconia ring, she thought it was a fake, and he said it's, it's real. So imagine, imagine that. So spring cleaning, we're going to get into the cupboards at the end of this year, and let's, let's find some stuff, and let's sell some, some stuff, some, some valuable some family heirlooms. But the whole point of it is this, to find something that is of value, that has been lying around for ages, and then to actually enjoy a lot of people actually take it back with them. Knowing that it's worth more, they would have thrown it out, but they actually end up keeping it. Knowing that it's worth something, or what happens is they go straight away to auction or they sell it online and get ridiculous amounts of money for it. But enjoying this, this thing that has always been around, not really knowing what it's worth, but suddenly realizing there's amazing value in all of these things. This one hus husband and wife couple came in and they had these two dolls and it looked like something out of the worst horror movie you've ever seen. They were terrifying. And the husband was like, get it out of the house. They had them evaluated at something like 20,000 pounds. He went from hating them to like taking them from the evaluator and being like, this is, this is mine. And I love these. And he went from instant hate to instant love. Just because of what the, the value was of these things, very quickly he changed his mind. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're hopefully not having to change your mind about a bunch of antiques that we're going to pull out, but we're hopefully going to be showing you things that you'll be able to look at and see and enjoy. And uh, in just a second, uh, Sarah's going to put a slide up on the screen of our first antique for, for today. It's one that is, is quite incredible because as simple as it was, and it's definitely not anymore, it's, it's a was, as simple as it was, it was powerful in its ability to motivate and empower an entire nation's army. If you were to take this item to an evaluator today and sit down at the thing and go, I have this, this thing here, they would look at it and go, unless this is the original thing that we could put in a museum, it's absolutely, it's absolutely worthless. But what we're doing over this, the, for, for the rest of today and for the rest of the series is we're looking at these items and we're asking ourselves, not just how important is the item, but how important is the, the story that goes behind this item and the characters that surround it. But ultimately, here's what we're asking week to week. There, there's one character that is involved in all these stories that you and I need to be asking this about. What is it that we are learning or discovering about God? Because in the Old Testament, we're going to pull out all of these things. We're going to look at this one that we're going to look at today. 
and we look at the story, story that surrounds it and these different characters, and God is the central character, and we're saying, what does this tell me about God and how he relates to me and how I should relate to him? And that's, that's going to be kind of over everything that we look at over the next couple weeks. But here's what we're looking at today. It is, it is a sling. It's, it's David's sling. And, and I don't know about you, but in my mind, I don't know why, I always pictured it to be a little bit different. But in the research that I did and all the looking around on the internet and everything that I could find, this is pretty much what you come up with. It's a, a little pouch of leather, and then it either has like a cord strap or leather strap on it. I don't know what his actually looked like. But then you put a stone inside, and then you fold it over, you swing it around, and, and you fling it. It definitely wasn't one of those ones with the rubber that you pull back and shoot like, like we had at youth camp this year. It's not those ones, Blake. It's, it's the other ones. It's the ones that you fling. So, like, very inaccurate, I can only imagine. I think I tried one once after Sunday school, and I went down to the bottom of the garden and don't even know where any of the stones went. Just fling, swing, and you see a it's down there somewhere. Excellent. Probably knocked out the neighbor's dog. That's fine. But they're so hard to use. I don't know if any of you have ever used one of these. It's like next to impossible. But this antique is incredibly special because I'm thinking you really guess where we're going with this today. This comes out of probably one of the most famous Bible stories ever told. In fact, if you had never been to church and if this was your first day in church, you've probably heard the story. It's the story of, of David and Goliath. And so each week, what I'm going to do, or what we're going to do, is we're going to present you with the object, present you with the story, present you with the characters, point you to God, but give you one specific area of our lives that we should be dealing with God about, where we say, if this is what this, this object was, was doing in this time, what's the story that surrounded it? What was God doing with the individuals there? And then we're saying, so what does this mean for us today? And today we're looking at, at courage. And so if any of you have ever, ever read even any little bit of the story of, of David and Goliath, you know that there is this incredible courage that comes through in the life of, of David. And so we're going to look at that in just a second. But as I was thinking about courage, you can go ahead and put the, the, the slide on the screen. I was looking for a definition that, that we could work with today. And as I look through different dictionaries and different definitions, this is pretty much what, what people come up with. That courage is being able to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. Courage is the ability to put yourself in a position where you know it's going to be difficult and it's going to be dangerous. Now, we could say today, we need to be courageous people. And we'd all probably go, yeah, that, that's good. You, you need to be courageous. You need to be courageous in the way that you, that you do your, your business and the way that you, you do life. We have to have courage. And we'd all say, yeah, that's, that's good. But the thing is this. Though we all agree that we should have courage and we need to be courageous in these different areas of life, sometimes it's hard for us to actually go out and, and act courageously and make the wise choices because we don't struggle knowing that we should be courageous. We sometimes struggle with the ability to just simply know how to be courageous. And it kind of fits in here where it says courage is being able. That's what we struggle with sometimes, I think. It's the ability behind it. I know I should be courageous. I wish I had courage in this situation. And so it's not that I know that, I don't know that I should. I don't know that I should possess this courage. It's that I just, I don't know how to, how to do it. And we're going to look at the story of David, and we're going to look at, at something that was completely unique in his life, and we're going to see how that applies to us. But I'm just going to, just right from the beginning, give you, give you this insight into the story. That our ability, go back, our ability to be courageous depends on what we value most. 
Think about that for a second. If we, if we know we should be courageous, because we do, but what we struggle with is, is actually implementing the courage, then it comes back to that ability. And if you think about it, in almost every situation, our ability to be courageous depends on what we value most. And I was thinking about this, and I, and I was trying to see if, if, if this, this way of thinking was something that we could, could disprove. I mean, is, is, this, is this something that, that isn't reasonable? So I started thinking of different situations where courage would be needed. Hypothetical situations. What about, um, what about a, a kid who falls into a river and is getting swept along? And a parent who sees this and goes, oh my goodness, I really hope that they paid attention at swimming class because I'm not getting in there. I am not getting, it's cold and it's dirty and I think I just saw like half a dog float past. It's, you, you will be fine. Stroke, stroke, breathe. Stroke, stroke, breathe. You've got this. Kick, circular motion with your legs. You not, No? No. Parents are going to go, I'm in there. I'm, I'm going to save you. Why? Because you value your children. If, if your kid's getting swept out in the surf, yesterday I was, having a, uh, I was in, the, in the sea with Ian, and he got swept out at one point, and I, I kind of thought to myself, hmm, do I value him that much to go and find him? And he's, he was fine. He, he came back. I do. I would have come and got you eventually, but you, know, you, you were okay. But you would do that. You would jump in and, and you would, because you value your child. What about in, in battle? I mean, we see it in the movies all the time. These guys are in battle. One guy gets shot and, and he does, the, his friend doesn't realize and he turns around and he sees him there. What, what is he going to do? He's going to go back and he's going to save him. An incredible act of courage. Why is he going to do that? Because he values his friendship. Because he maybe even values his honor as a soldier to go back and get the wounded soldier and pull him back. And then you think about it a little bit in more realistic terms than what we deal with today. Why would you have courage to not take part in the shady deal at work even though you desperately need the money? Why would, how would you have the ability to, to actually not take part in that? Because you value your integrity and you, you value your, your, the, um, the reputation of yourself and of, of your family. So you're not going to take part in that. Why, why would a girl who's been going out for a guy with a guy for a while have the courage to say, I'm not willing to take it to the next level? Because she, she values who she is and she values who, who she knows she is. She doesn't need some guy all of a sudden to, to come alongside and say, let me add to your value. She knows who she is. And if she's a Christian, she knows she's a child of God. So she doesn't need that. Why would, why would a kid at school, why would a, why would a, a young boy standing in, in, the, in the face of, of a choice to, to either cheat or, or to not, why, why would he choose not to? Because he values the, the, the things that his parents taught him from when he was young to say, I, I, I don't, I, I won't do that. Why would he have the courage to stand up? And you say, but that doesn't really sound like the courage that I think you're about to talk about in, in David in the book of 1 Samuel. I don't think that's really courage. But if courage is the ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous, then it's something that we experience every single day. And it's not asking if we need to be courageous, it's asking how. And it comes back to the ability to say it's about what we, what we value. And that's what we're going to see in David's life. So you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to be doing a little bit of reading, and I'm going to be speaking a little bit uh, in between just to kind of fill us in on the story. But as you're turning there, I'm, I'm going to fill you in, and I'm actually going to go back a, a little bit. Um, and so our story today 
We're going to get to the sling bit in a little bit. But our story today begins in, in Bethlehem. And the prophet Samuel is approaching. And he's coming to, to Bethlehem because he's been told by God that he needs to anoint a new king. God is not happy with Saul, the current king, because of his disobedience. And he says, my spirit has departed from Paul, and I want you to anoint a new king. Go out and, and get him. He's the son of, of Jesse. So he goes into, into Bethlehem, and he, and he finds Jesse, and he says, now I want you to bring me your sons. And so Jesse goes out, and he gets his sons, and, and so the, the sons start walking past. And immediately the first guy comes along. This is now David's oldest brother. And, and as he arrives... Samuel looks at him, he thinks, this, this is the guy. It must be the guy. Look, look at him. He's, he's the oldest. That would make sense. He definitely seems to be, in terms of his appearance, someone who could be a king. But take a look at, at, at this verse. This is what we see in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. And this is going to give us a little bit of insight into, into who God is and, and, and who he chooses. He says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, if any of you are are, um, sitting here today and you've had parents who kind of in any way went to church for any amount of time, and you got home and you started talking badly about someone, you know, or you kind of judge someone based on appearance, they probably said to you, well, God doesn't look at outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And, and it's true that he, he does. But in the context of the story here, it's not talking about whether you should judge or not judge people based on, on, their, on their appearance. I mean, Samuel is looking at this guy thinking, hmm, he would be the one. But, but, but God doesn't say to Samuel, no, no, don't choose the oldest brother because you shouldn't judge people. He says, I, I'm, I have the ability to see into people's Hearts. I have the ability to see what really counts in someone's life. And so God had already decided that it wasn't the oldest brother, it wasn't the second oldest, it wasn't any of the brothers except for the youngest one who was the smallest in stature, who Jesse didn't even bring before Samuel to consider him to anoint him as king. But what happens? God sees something in the heart of David that he knew would be valuable for him as king, to do what he needed to do. You see, so often I think when, when we look at our relationship with God and we go, God, I, I want to be used by you. Maybe even after some of the songs that we've sung today. I mean, I said to myself today, I was going to take it easy. But I just, I couldn't, I couldn't. Just singing these songs, we're just singing, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. All the earth will shout your, your name. And so we sing songs like this, and after that we turn around and we go, Man, I, I really want to do something for God. And so maybe what we do is we, we try and show Him. And we, we maybe even you know, we maybe even serve in church in a ministry. And, and we try to prove to God by the works and the things that we do, even if it's with good intentions, that, God, you should use us and you should choose us. We always say as a church, God, if you're looking to, to use a church in the life of, of one person or in the life of many people, would you choose us? And so we say, would you, would you pick us? And so maybe this is something we look at in our own lives and go, God, would you, would you choose me and would you use, use me? But instead of sorting out our hearts first, we're busy just doing things to try and prove to him as if God can't see the reality of what's going on in our hearts. Samuel sees this guy and he thinks it has to be the oldest brother. But God says, 
the one you should anoint isn't even here. If you could see his heart, you'd understand why I'm picking this guy. And so before we can even think of being courageous this morning and living lives of, of courage and, and taking steps towards glorifying God in the way that we follow him and obey him in obedience and in courage, we've got to stop and ask ourselves, are we just going to say, God, would you, would you use us? And, and, I, and I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to take little steps towards you know, following you. I'm even going to show you. And outwardly, I may even appear to be the kind of person that you should use. Or are we going to stop and say, where is, my, where is my heart? Where are my real motives? What is it that, and we're going to get into this in a second, what is it that I value? Because right from the beginning, God saw into David's heart a man who valued him above anything else. And so Samuel anoints him, and God has chosen him. And around this time, King Saul is, uh, is in absolute distress because God's spirit has been taken from him. And so one of his... Um, one of his attendants say, I can see that you are like in serious discomfort and that you're struggling. I've heard of this guy, this young, this young man named David, and he plays the harp amazingly. Apparently back in the day, if you were feeling sick and someone played a harp, you'd feel okay. And that's what happened. I mean, and, and Saul's like, I need someone to play the harp. And he was like, I'll find a harp player. So they go off and they find David. And David comes in and he plays so well that every time Saul feels sick, every time he feels tormented by this evil spirit, all of a sudden, he feels better. You're going to like that harp player. Even if you hate harps, you like that guy because he's the one who makes you feel better. And so all of a sudden, he starts to feel better. And he, he begins to, to realize that this David kid, he, he's all right. So he even becomes one of his armor bearers. So now think of the situation. You've got Saul, who's the king of Israel, yet the spirit of God has left him and has been given to David, who is now his armor bearer. And as far as we know, Saul didn't know that any of this had taken place. And here's David in the service of, of Saul. And it just kind of almost seems like the story is perfectly set up for God to do something incredible in the life of a small, young guy whose heart was right before the Lord. And so as, as time continues, not much time goes on, what happens is the Philistines draw battle lines against Israel. And this is something that had happened for years and years and years and even continued after this. If you read back in the Old Testament, you will see so many battles that took place. One battle even took place where, the, where the Israel thought, we're not going to win. We don't know what we're going to do. So they took the ark. They took the ark of the covenant and they took it out into the battle. The Philistines stole the ark and they took it. They eventually threw out a whole bunch of different you know, things that, that happened. The ark eventually came back, and they're like, what have we done? So then Saul, out of that, goes out, and he fights another battle against the Philistines. Israel and the Philistines, they fought nonstop for years and years and years and years. But here's the thing. So many people think of the Philistines as people who were, like, they, they didn't know what they were doing. They were clueless. History tells us that they were extremely rough. They were extremely violent. They are extremely aggressive people. But they're extremely advanced, especially in their weaponry. In fact, at one point, not, not long um, before this, what happened was Israel needed someone to sharpen their, their, their weapons, and they had, they had no one to turn to. So in a, a semi-moment of peace, they actually went to a group of the Philistines, sharpened their weapons. Long story short, they had no weapons when they went into battle. Another story for another day. But that's how advanced the Philistines were. They were sharpening the tools and if you think about it, that's not very smart. Sharpening the tools of the other nation's army. 
but maybe they just wanted to show off. I don't know what it was. But they had this ability as these people to be incredible warriors and, and, and to, to have incredible weapons. And so what has happened is the battle lines have been drawn again. But this time, instead of going sword to sword, shield to shield, you guys know the story. What happens is they decide we're going to settle this just one man. There's, there's no point in sacrificing thousands and thousands of men. Let's just get one of our guys and one of your guys. We'll throw them in the middle. They'll fight. Whoever wins, well, then you guys, you get to control the other nation. How does that sound? Fair? Oh, well, I don't know. Didn't seem fair to Israel because of who the Philistines chose. You guys have heard about Goliath before. They chose who they called. The scripture refers to him as their champion. In other words, he had done this before. He was the one they went to when they needed someone to step up to the plate and take someone out. The Bible describes him as someone who was nine feet tall and his armor weighed about 60 kilograms, just his armor. He was an incredible, incredible man. And so what happened was he would stand, he would stand with the, with the front row of his army, and the Philistines would come out and they would stand and they'd face each other. And, and as they would get ready for their, their battle cries, he would, he would step out and he would walk with his armor bearer before him, kind of carrying all of his weapons, and he'd just stand out there. And every day for 40 days, or twice a day for 40 days, he would shout, and he would scream at the Israelites and he'd say, is there any of you who are willing to come and fight me? And of course, the Israelites were just absolutely terrified. Nine feet tall. He walks around with 60 kgs of armor. He's an absolute beast. No one wants to take him on. And it says the nation of Israel and the king, they were terrified. And so no one from Israel is walking out of their ranks to go and stand against this man. No one is choosing to stand up against him. And this is where we, we pick up our story. And we're going to be in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 20. So if you want to turn there, you can. Otherwise, we'll, we'll put it up on the screen. But we're just going to read through this, this account together. 1 Samuel 17, uh, chapter 20. And now David has been going back and forth from his father to the king's service. And so his dad says, listen, three of your brothers are in battle right now. I want you to take them supplies and I want you to check up on them and come back and tell me how things are going. So this is what it says, verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up and, and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp uh, as the many were, uh, as, uh, sorry. He reached the camp as the army was going out into his battle positions, shouting the, the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw this man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now just think about this for a second. And this like kind of jumped out to me as I was reading this. This has been happening like nonstop for a couple days now. 40 days this guy's been coming out. And either he had a, a new thing to say to them to terrify them, or he was just that scary that the, this is, this is the, like an army, the nation of Israel. They stand there. These are, the, these are the warriors of Israel. They stand there, and one guy steps out and shouts, and it says what? They turn and they ran. It's like they weren't even expecting it. Maybe he came with like another 300 speech, and they were just like, he's even scarier than we remember. I don't know what it was. But David goes, he hears it, and then he sees 
a nation's most fierce warriors turning and running. I mean, like seriously, what, what, is, what is going on there? He says, it ran from him in great fear. Verse 25, now all the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done to the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that, we should, that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had said, what they were saying, and told him, this is what will be done. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and said, Why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you, how conceited you are and how wicked, listen to this, how wicked your heart is. Clearly his brother didn't know him well enough. God said, that's the heart that I want. How wicked your brother is. You came down here only to, to watch the battle. Verse 29, Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He, uh, he then turned away to someone else, just ignores his brother, and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him the same as, be as before. What David said was over overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go and fight against this Philistine and fight him. You, you are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. I don't know if you picked up one of the questions that David asked there. But he gets there and he, and he sees this, this giant come out and just challenge Israel, the nation of God. And he, and he sees this. Then he hears men talking about what will be done for those who, who take him out. You know, the, the king is going to give them the great wealth, exempt them from taxes, give, the, give his daughter to them in, in, in marriage. That sounds like a good deal, right? That's what... That's what the nation of Israel was concerned about, getting rid of Goliath and getting the king's reward. That's what they were concerned about. But did you catch the other question that David asked? What did he say? He said, what will be done for the man who kills him? And then he said, and who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? It seems apparent that David, who only just arrived on the scene, is the only one the only one in the whole of the Israelite army, the people who have fought with God and alongside God and for God, the only one who gets up there and sees this man defying Israel as a blatant defiance against God. And he says, who is he that he thinks he can do this? And he's just a boy. And they don't even answer the question. They only tell him what will be done. To them, they don't even register. They're not even, they're not even listening to the second question. They don't care that he's defying the armies of the living God. They just want to make it through another day. David says, something has to be done about this. And so he goes to Saul and listen, and listen to what he says. Let no one lose a heart on the account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and you'll fight him. And so what happens? Saul says, you can't. You're a boy. He's a warrior. He's the champion of Philistine. He is going to take you out. And so he goes and he gets ready to, to kid him out with you know, his own armor. Because if I'm seeing this kid out, he better take my armor and, and my sword. And, and in the midst of, of all of this, listen, listen, to what, listen to what David says. He says this, um, And the Lord, 
who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David went into this knowing something about who the Lord, Yahweh, who God was, the same God that this giant was coming out and mocking every single day. He knew something of him because of the life that he had lived with God, where he was attacked by a lion and attacked by a bear. And Saul saying to him, you can't go out and fight this guy. He goes, no, no, listen, things like this have kind of happened before. But you know what the difference is? It's, it's that the, the Lord has given me victory in these situations. So he says to him, he's going he's gonna to deliver me into his hands. And this is just a boy, not even old enough to fight. And yet he knew something of who God was, not only to be shocked at the fact that some, some pagan would step out there and defy God. He, wasn't only, he didn't only know enough about God to know that that wasn't right. He knew enough about God to know that it was of value to him because he valued God and the reputation of God to do something about it. And so we then get into one of the most incredible uh, records of, of courage that we have ever read in literature. In verse 40, here we go. And then he took a staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. And he put them in a pouch of a shepherd's bag. And with sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And so here it is. Here's our sling. And David, that's all he's got. A stick and a sling and a couple stones. And he approaches the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with the shield bearer in front of him, kept, uh, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy. The most random three words in Scripture, ruddy and handsome. Why did Goliath care that he was ruddy and handsome? I don't know. Only a boy, ruddy and handsome. And he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. Now, and I'll imagine in that second, there's David. And there's this giant man, and, he's, and he is now cursing him by his own gods, looking at David and saying, come, I dare you. I'm, I'm going to tear you to pieces. And David has kind of heard this, and now here comes his reply. David said to the Philistines, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. That's Yahweh Almighty. Listen to what he says. The God of the armies of Israel, who you've defiled. Do you understand what you've done, Goliath? Do you understand what you have done in defiling Israel and Yahweh the Lord? This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today, I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And listen to this. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you, all of you, into our hands. And all of a sudden, it's apparent why God said to Samuel, it's not about the physical thing that you can see in this, in this oldest brother of, of, of David. It's, it's not that. It's something in the heart. And there's this little dude, and he's standing against this massive giant. And he just, he just says it as it is. He says it with all the faith that's within him, based on what he believes and what he values. And what he values is the reputation of the God of the armies of Israel, of his own God. 
who clearly he knows because he has relied on him in the past. When the bear has come and when the lion has come, he's relied on the Lord to be the one that would give him victory over that. And so he says, this is no difference. I know God and I know what he's like and I know what he is going to do for me today. And so he stands up against Goliath and he looks him in the eye. I think he only had one eye. That's why I say eye, because he's mean. Maybe he had a patch, I don't know. But he looks at Goliath and he says, the Lord is going to deliver you and your extremely violent and terrible nation into our hands, every single one of you. And just think about this for a second. No one tried to stop him except for Saul. Saul looked at the situation and said, you're going to die, kid. But he went anyway. Imagine in your head, there's, there's, there's Israel's army and they're standing and there's, there's thousands of them and David is making his way through. And, and he comes straight through, through the front lines. Can you imagine what the men were thinking as they saw this little guy just stand right between them? And he doesn't hesitate. He walks straight into the battle lines. And, he's not, he, and at this point, it's not like he hasn't seen Goliath. Goliath is coming straight at him and he just walks straight up to him. Now, now here's the thing. These men, they heard what he said. They heard what Goliath said. And David made sure that everyone there knew exactly what was about to go down. This was about to be the Lord's battle. Because David valued the reputation of the Lord over even his own life. And so this is what happens. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reached into his bag and taking out a stone, he um, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The The stone sunk deep into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. The sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scab. After killing him, he cut off his head with, with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with their shouts and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn all over um, Sharam Road to Gath. And Ekron, when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he, and he put the weapons in his own tent. I mean, just like, it's, it's the most ridiculous story. But even in that, the Philistines only pursued. You, you would think some little guy walking out on the battlefield giving this speech to Goliath and going, I'm going to take you down because God's going to deliver you into my hands, would motivate a nation, an army to get up and go, we will fight with him. But it's only once, it's only once Israel actually sees the Philistines retreating that they chase. Even the fact that Goliath was dead wasn't enough for them. They waited for them to retreat. And it just shows something of an entire nation and a king, the most fearsome warriors, the people who should have relied on God more than anyone else in the entire nation, they didn't get it. But David valued his own life. Or David valued the reputation of God more than his own life. And so with the simple sling, as a symbol of something that takes down even the greatest warrior, we realize the heart of who David was. The courage that he had that was brought on by the ability that he had to rely on God because he valued his reputation more than his own life. Was David scared? I think he was. I'm I'm pretty sure he was scared. 
Was David, was David more afraid of, of, this, of this giants than he was of letting God's name be defiled? No, not at all. And so he did what he could. The courage he possessed because of what and who he valued to take down this giant. And so we hear a story like this and we listen to this and we go, that's a great story. That's a cool story. It's amazing. It really is. And I think it's true. Yeah, I, I believe it to be true. We believe this to be absolutely true. We believe this to be something that God actually did through the life of David with a sling in his hand or with a stone or with the faith in his heart because he valued the reputation of God. We believe that to be true and we go, that is incredible, David. And that is incredible courage and I admire that. But I do not want us to miss today the simplicity of what we get out of this story and out of this account and what God would want us to know as a result of David's faith and what he did. And it is this, that courage is the ability to face difficulty head on. And you and I face difficulty head on every single day. Think about this for, for a second. Courage is the ability to do what is difficult despite the cost. And we're going to face this every day. Here's maybe what it's going to look like. It takes courage to be a husband who wants to be a godly man and to honor his wife. Why? Because the Bible says you've got to lay down your life, make sacrifices for her. That's, that's difficult, right? How are you going to do that? How are you going to have the ability to do that? comes back to what or, or who you value. It takes courage then to be the wives that are to submit to their, to their husbands because sometimes it's difficult to, to build them up. How are we going to do that? It comes back to who we value and what we value. It takes courage to, to parent well, to make the tough choices. I can only imagine how difficult it must be sometimes to say, say no, but it takes courage to do that, and the ability is there because of the value that you place on your, your child's life. And it takes courage to live godly lives and to stand up for what we believe in and obey God every single day because courage is being willing and having the ability to stare danger and difficulty in the face and take it head on. But the ability comes from what we value and, and who we value. 